Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. With just over two weeks to go before Election Day, Minnesota is already in the record books when it comes to outside spending on congressional races. The biggest spenders, not surprisingly, are the National Republican and Democratic parties, along with super PACs created by the parties. You can see where the money is going every time you use your remote control to click on your TV. Congressman Jason Lewis got to Washington and he fit right in. If it seems like you're seeing more campaign TV ads than ever before, you're probably right. Dean Phillips, the worst kind of hypocrisy. The airwaves are saturated with ads, the majority of them in four competitive U.S. House races. Uh, we'll set records for total spending and outside spending in this state. Money is attracted to competitive races and we're right in the middle of that. Three weeks before Election Day, outside spending surpassed $27 million. Already more than last year's total of 26.9, the previous record for spending on house races. More than five times as much money as the state attracted 10 years ago. I think a money is going to Minnesota because I think the polling on both sides that we don't see publicly shows a lot of competition, particularly in the congressional races. And Congressman Eric Paulson helped make them happen. The money is being spent primarily on TV ads all across the state. The biggest spenders are affiliated with the Republican and Democratic parties. The Congressional Leadership Fund and the National Republican Congressional Committee, both backing GOP candidates, followed closely by the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. Minnesota is moving in two different directions. Uh, the metro is becoming more liberal and even more democratic, particularly in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Greater Minnesota is moving in a Republican direction. And so uh, the parties want to take advantage of those trends and a lot of money is coming in. Now, the, in addition to the parties, who else is trying to influence your vote? Every special interest group you can think of. Veterans, environmental, anti-abortion, pro-choice, labor, chambers of commerce, all of them backing candidates who align with their viewpoints and financial interests. Now, the outside spending story is very different when it comes to Minnesota's two U.S. Senate races. $910,000 in outside money has come in on the Tina Smith, Karen Housley race for U.S. Senate. Only $23,000 in outside money has been spent on the Amy Klobuchar, Jim Newberger Senate race. Compare that to the Senate race 10 years ago between Al Franken and Norm Coleman. That brought in more than $24 million in outside spending. One of the newest attack ads to hit the air is paid for by 3rd District Republican Congressman Eric Paulson. It targets his Democratic opponent, Dean Phillips, by attempting to link him to DFL Attorney General candidate Keith Ellison. We put it through the truth test. Sleazy Keith Ellison and shady Dean Phillips, both caught up in another sexual harassment scandal. It's one of the harshest campaign TV ads so far in 2018, especially coming from a candidate. In this case, Republican Congressman Eric Paulson, rather than a special interest group, targeting Democrat Dean Phillips. Ellison accused of physical abuse. Phillips charged with ignoring sexual harassment and discrimination at his companies. It is true Keith Ellison has been accused of domestic abuse by a former girlfriend, an allegation Ellison has repeatedly denied. It is false to say Phillips has been charged with ignoring sexual harassment and discrimination at his companies. 
The only one making the charge appears to be the Paulson campaign. Sued over and over again. A whistleblower says he told Phillips's board of the abuse, warning the harassment was a serious problem that was being covered up. It is true Alina Health was sued by several women in 2007 who claimed they were sexually harassed by a doctor at one of Alina's 60 clinics. Phillips was on the Alina board at the time, and Paulson accuses Phillips of ignoring the lawsuit. News accounts at the time do say a whistleblower at the clinic sent a letter to an unnamed Alina board member supporting the lawsuit. However, an attorney who represented the women, Lori Peterson, sent Five Eyewitness News an email saying, quote, Let me be clear, this lawsuit had absolutely nothing to do with Dean Phillips. No allegations were made about Mr. Phillips, and he had no involvement in this matter. In fact, I'd never even heard of him until this election campaign started. Peterson says the lawsuit was eventually settled out of court. Due to a mix of one true claim combined with false or, at best, exaggerated or misleading claims, this ad gets a D-minus on the truth test. And if you want to see how we grade ads or suggest an ad for us to run through the truth test, just head to KSTP.com and click on Truth Test. What else? Minnesotans will vote for a new state auditor this election year as well. Current auditor Rebecca Otto is not seeking re-election after an unsuccessful bid for governor. The state auditor is responsible for overseeing more than $20 billion spent annually by local governments in the state. This year's candidates are DFLer Julie Blaha, a former middle school math teacher and union treasurer, and Republican Pam Myra, a former state representative and certified public accountant. And we have both candidates in studio with us today. Thank you both for being here today. Thanks I appreciate for it. Us. Yes. Now, the state auditor is not one of, it's a statewide office, obviously, yes. but it is not one of the more high-profile ones like governor, uh, lieutenant governor, and those types of things. Because of that, a lot of our viewers probably are not familiar with either one of you. So let me start with you, Julie Blaha. You Tell us a little something about your background and why you have decided to seek this office. Well, this is the only office I've ever considered running for. This is my first run. Uh, and uh, what I love about this office is that the state auditor works with local governments to give them the tools to solve problems close to home. And that's what I've done with my whole career. You know, as a math teacher, my job was to help people take complicated financial and mathematical ideas and solve problems. As a union treasurer, my job was to make sure that our budget matched our values. And so this is just a wonderful opportunity. Uh, and I think that background is why I've gotten support from groups like uh, the unions that represent the uh, people who work in the auditor's office. Uh, just this week, uh, got uh, some support from the Minnesota uh, Society of CPAs, uh, certified public accountants. Uh, it's really exciting to work on this area. And clearly a math teacher likes yes. numbers and clearly a CPA likes numbers yes, as well. Indeed. That's how you've made your living. Uh, Pam Myra, tell me, why did you decide to seek this office? Very interesting. I asked my dad in 20, uh, 2009, uh, Dad, I'm thinking about running for office. And he said, Pam, if you run for office, run for an office that you really can make a difference in. And run for an office where you really care about the issues. And then he paused and he said, don't run for state auditor. I followed his advice and went in the legislature instead. Since I've been out of the legislature, I have had so many people ask me to run for this office. And last fall, I was asked again and by someone who I greatly admire. And I decided I better look at this. And so I went back to Minnesota statute and I found myself trembling. 
And it wasn't because I'm a potential candidate or uh, as a certified public accountant. I started trembling out of being angry as a taxpayer and the absence of independence. And then the realization came that I could be a catalyst for improving that as a certified public accountant with an active license, a former audit manager at an international public accounting firm, KPMG, and also serving in the legislature, working on passing unanimous legislation on government transparency. And we'll talk more about what made you angry when you looked uh, more at this uh, a bit later. But uh, many people are not entirely clear, let's be honest, uh, Mm -hmm. what the state auditor does. And Julie, in in your view, what does the state auditor do and what is your vision for the office if you were to be elected? Well, I think you can narrow it down to three main things. Uh, Oversight, education, and representation. Uh, She oversees over $20 billion, like you said at the beginning, of local spending. Her job is also to educate people who are working with local government to solve problems with uh, analysis, with best practices, and direct training. Uh, And then finally, a part that's often overlooked is the representation piece. She serves to represent Minnesota on uh, boards like the Minnesota Board of Investment. Uh, which uh, invests over $90 billion of Minnesota money. Uh, She works on pension boards, uh, which is something I wish got more attention in this race because the next auditor needs to help stabilize pensions in Minnesota. And I've worked on that at the legislature and really proud of the work we've done. And Pam, what what is your uh, vision for what the office would do if you were elected? I want to strengthen the office for the taxpayer. It is supposed to provide transparency and accountability on how our tax dollars are used. And so I will work with the legislature and the governor, as I have done in the past, uh, to, uh, to reform the office so that it's stronger, has better oversight for taxpayer dollars. And, you know, protecting public money, $20 yes. billion, dollars, yes. uh, is a lot of money. In fact, uh, you know, compared to what state spending is, mm-hmm. it's yes. not that far off from what the legislature deals with. So mm-hmm. you help oversee that. It seems to me that should be kind of a nonpartisan function. Julie, if you're elected, would you try to keep politics out of the office? I'll give you about 30 seconds. For this. Oh, that's really key. And in fact, that's the biggest thing you're looking for in your state auditor. And when you're looking between the two of us, which of us have worked in the most bipartisan way and where it's been really difficult? I'm really proud of the fact that I've had a chance to uh, lead an organization that is bipartisan. I've had a chance to work on the pension bill, which was one of our best bipartisan uh, accomplishments in years. That's really important. And do you see this as an office where where partisanship should be kept out of it? Absolutely. And as I served in the legislature, I chief authored two bills that were unanimously passed in the House. And those two bills were on government transparency, which dovetails into this exactly. But so I have a proven background of bringing people together for the benefit of Minnesotans. All right, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk about the current state auditor who was at odds with the Republican legislature over a law that was passed in 2015. We'll find out where these two candidates stand on that when we come back after a break. And welcome back to our conversation with the two candidates, two of the candidates, major party candidates for state auditor, uh, Pam Myra, Republican, Julie Blaha, a Democrat. Thank you both again for being here. Now, the current state auditor, Rebecca Otto, who is uh, not seeking re-election after she had run for governor, she was at odds with the Republican legislature, especially after they passed a law that... Uh, allowed counties to hire private auditors to come in and do audits that were usually done by the state auditor. Uh, Let me start with you, Pam. Where do you stand on that? It was the Republican lawmakers 
who wanted to seek this change at the request of some counties who said state auditor audits were just too expensive? Well, actually, it was a Democrat Senate and a Republican House and a Democrat governor who passed that legislation. So it was unanimous. It was nonpartisan or bipartisan legislation. I am supportive of that because it allows the counties to be able to make uh, a choice at their level, pri private firm or the state auditor. It provides more, more independence. Now, of course, Rebecca Otto thought it was unconstitutional because it was mm -hmm. taking away some of the, the power or the constitutional power of her office. How do you view that? Well, I don't know if I would have done uh, a, a judicial response to that, but I do understand the attack that Rebecca wanted to fight. I mean, there are Republicans who've been very open about the idea they'd like to get rid of this office entirely. They'd like to put on the ballot so we could vote it out. It's really important that you have an auditor who's ready to protect the truth that this office uh, puts out there, and they have got to be ready not only to help people solve problems close to home, but also fight to protect this office because it has clearly come under attack. Now, Governor Dayton did sign that yes, uh, bill into law, and there were mm -hmm. Democrats who supported it. Yes. So. I guess what it, what it comes down to is what can you do to make it so counties don't feel the need to go hire a private audit firm? Is there a way to make the state auditor audits less expensive? Uh, that is a possibility, but I think there should be options. And to the point that was previously made, I absolutely want to strengthen the office of state auditor. It is so important because it's, it's the advocate for the taxpayer. It's not an advocate for unions. It's an advocate for the taxpayers of the state. The legislative auditor is at the direction of the legislature. And so this is a very, very important office that needs to not only be maintained, but strengthened and improved. Is there a way to make the audits less expensive? I mean, even obviously under state law now, you do have options to hire a private sure. auditor, but I'm sure you would like the state auditor's office to do as many of those as possible. Well, I think it would be ideal if we could provide this to uh, local governments as something that comes from the state. You know, it's a state requirement. It should be state-funded. It would be great to be able to go into a community and say, hey, we're here to do your audit, and this year uh, you're not... The state's covering it. You don't have to pick it up directly. That helps somebody, you know, you're out of Terrell County. You can hire an extra snowplow driver with that savings. So I think if the state is requiring it, the state should cover it. And I think we need to make sure that we are funding the requirements we are putting on local government. And how important is it that counties and these local municipalities know that in many ways the state auditor is the watchdog? Uh, if, if there's anything going on with your money that shouldn't be happening, uh, you're going to find it. It, that's very, very important, but it's also important for the taxpayer to know that we have that oversight for them. Their tax dollars are being used as they are intended and effectively. And is it important to be the watchdog? You know, I've had a chance to work with the kind of uh, information that comes out of the auditor's office as a regular person on my city economic development authority or as a bargainer. And I'll tell you, it's so key to have something we can all agree on. Sometimes when people are deeply divided, what you need is one true thing to get the solution started. And I want to be that auditor that gives that to our people. We're just about out of time. I'll give you each 20 seconds just to make your final pitch. Why should people vote for you, Pam Myra? I am a certified public accountant with an active license, a former audit manager at KPMG, an international public accounting firm. So I'm auditor, actually running for auditor. I have the uh, continuing professional education to actually um, satisfy government auditing standards, and I will promote and encourage and support uh, their work. Julie Blaha. 
I see the office as wider uh, than, than, than just the audit division. I'm ready to serve Minnesota on the entire breadth of the office, including education and representation, in addition to oversight. And as a math teacher, I can make sure that if you are someone acting, uh, in intersecting your local government, I'm here to help you make change close to home. I was never a good math student. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you two were. So you're, uh, best of luck to both of you. Julie Thank Blaha you. running Thank as you. a DFL candidate. Pam Myra, you, the Republican. Uh, best of luck to you on Thank Election you. Day. Up next, we'll be joined by Catherine Tanucci and Kurt Zellers for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. Congressman Keith Ellison says he's extremely disappointed at the release of his 2012 divorce records. We looked through the records on Sealed Wednesday and found nothing to suggest Ellison ever abused his ex-wife, Kim. Alpha News and the Star Tribune newspaper filed a lawsuit to get those 2012 records released following allegations of domestic abuse against Ellison by his ex-girlfriend, Karen Monahan, something which Ellison has denied repeatedly. In a statement, Ellison says to pry into the details of a sealed divorce file that the court previously ordered closed on the eve of an election is shameful and outrageous. Ellison, of course, is the DFL candidate for attorney general and is running against Republican Doug Wardlow. Florida U.S. Senator Marco Rubio will campaign in Minnesota this coming week for Republican gubernatorial candidate Jeff Johnson. You'll recall Rubio won Minnesota's Republican caucuses when he ran for president in 2016. Johnson and Rubio will hold a rally Monday evening in Golden Valley. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen in that governor's race, but Tim Walls and just about every poll we've seen has a lead. I'm joined now by Kurt Zellers and Catherine Tanucci. Thank you both for being here. Let's talk about the governor's race real quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, should Tim Walls feel comfortable with the lead that he has? Oh, I'm sure he's not taking one minute for granted in this campaign. Um, we've seen polling that's that's favorable to him, and I know that he's feeling um, some momentum with his campaign, and that's really exciting. But um, I've been there in those last few weeks of the campaign, and things can change very quickly. You never take anything for granted. Uh, things are different today in elections with the amount of early voting that is happening. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, when, the, when the totals are in on Election Day uh, how much that impacts the results. And Republican Jeff Johnson has to be a little disheartened that the Republican Governors Association pulled a lot of its money out of this race that it had earmarked for, for ads. Does he still have a chance in this race, you think? Oh, yeah, and, and let's be clear, the, because the RGA has uh, limited resources, because they have governors all over the country that they're defending. So, uh, yeah, maybe a, a slight comment on where they stand with the Johnson race, but it's also com more of a comment on they've got a whole bunch of governors that they're, incumbent governors that they're defending. So it's a little bit of both. Um, I'm with Catherine. I, you know, I think the, the voting right now, if I were uh, Tim Walls, and I think uh, two years ago he learned when you get a little too overconfident what can happen on Election Day, and he won by the skin of his teeth, uh, I think every vote is going to come in at the end of the day, and it's going to be close, and I think the early voting is going to be a key part of that. And, Catherine, what we have, of course, is just polling now that is so hard to figure out because it's so hard to get a hold of people on landlines because so few people have landlines. Uh, how much confident, confidence can we have in these polls? How much confidence should Walls have in the, in the polls that have shown him either with a small single-digit lead or a double-digit lead. Right. Uh, polling, what's not changed about polling is that it's still just a snapshot of a single moment in a campaign. And, of course, the only one that matters is on Election Day. Today, though, and Kurt and I both work in, in communications consulting, and there are so many other ways to learn what people are thinking about. And we cannot rely just on polling, but 
looking at what people are talking about on social media, thinking about how do people feel, what are we saying, I think turnout at rallies, you know, other signs of energy and life in a campaign need to be sort of, it can't be separated from polling numbers. We can't rely on it just as like the end all of, of campaign analysis. And right? can you sense any enthusiasm on either side in this race without the big mega rallies? It's, right. it's hard to tell, isn't it? Right, and, and I'm one of those uh, voters. I, don't, I, haven't had a self, I haven't had a landline for 10 years. I don't even, can't even remember what it, we don't even have them installed in our house. So uh, I think that there's, and looking back at 2016, how off some of those were, I talked to a number of people who said, oh no, I don't answer any phone calls. I don't answer any surveys. So I think even if they do get somebody on the line, people are reluctant to say, oh, I'm gonna vote for him or I'm gonna vote for her on election day. I do think going out, and I was out door knocking with a, a you know, Republican candidate, um, I don't see the anger, I don't see the enthusiasm, but I do see engaged voters, and a lot of people, uh, especially seniors, had already voted. Well, uh, some numbers we can take to the bank are the uh, outside spending <laughs> dollars that are coming into the state. Let's yeah. take a look at the updated list of how much money is being spent. Uh, look at the, this is as of Friday. In the third district, over $9 million. Eighth district, 7.3. Uh, first district, 7.8. Two years ago, only $1,500 was spent in the first district. Now it's $7.8 million. What does this tell you, Catherine, that they sense all four of those remain competitive? Yeah, absolutely. Minnesota is at the very center of the country and of the battle for control of the House. Is that what those numbers mean? Absolutely. Uh, just the number in the first is astronomical. I mean, you would no one two years ago, four years ago would have said, hey, Couple of years from now, we're going to spend seven to nine million dollars in the first district. No one would have believed you. Just 30 seconds left tonight. We have uh, a lot of debates and candidate conversations. How important is it for candidates to come and face their opponent, whether you're an incumbent or not? It is so important, election. Tom. You remember in 2010, we had we had dozens and dozens of debates um, in the governor's race that year. It's so important for refining your ideas, communicating those ideas, and getting feedback in real time. And it's important to voters, isn't it? It's your obligation. If you're going to run for office, it's not just putting your name out there and buying a bunch of ads. It's your obligation to go and discuss your side of the issue, your opponent hits his, and then the voters get to decide. But if you don't show up, uh, I'm all for putting an empty chair up there. All right, Kurt Zellers, Catherine Tanucci, thank you both for being here. Up next, you'll get to see a Twins wannabe pitcher in action. That's right, we'll be back in two minutes. The Minnesota Twins have been making some big off-season moves, including putting me in next year's starting pitching rotation. Okay, that might not exactly be true, but I did get to throw out the first pitch at one of the team's final games of the season, and it actually made it over the plate. They just sent these pictures to me this week. We thought we would share them with you. I'd like to thank my catcher, T.C. Bear. He's probably still icing his hand from the heat I threw. He could barely even shake my hand, obviously. You can listen to episodes of At Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted on the At Issue page at KSTP.com. That is all the time we have for now. We'll see you back here again next week for another edition of At Issue.